0: Hey guys, it's Tara here. Your episode for this week is coming at you now. We wanted to say thank you so much for all of the love and support we received on social media. We're so sorry that this episode is coming about a day late. Stupid interweb gremlins, but everything's all fixed now, and part two will be coming at you later this week. Enjoy.
1: Warning. This podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned.
0: Hey, spooksters, and welcome back to Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara, and as always, I'm joined by my favorite gal pal, Jessica. Hi. Hey, guys. And this week, it is a true crime week here on the show. It's somebody we both extremely hate, like legit. Mm -hmm. It's such a fucking rabbit hole, clusterfuck, what have you. That we're just getting the tip of the iceberg, even in the top subtopic, I guess you could say, under this killer. Mm -hmm. We have decided that this week we are going to discuss the Manson family cult and the murders and shenanigans that they had gotten into during the 60s and so on. Yes. Yes. Yes, um, we did a fun little Q&A stories thingy on Instagram a while back asking opinions on topics and serial killers and all that great stuff. Um, He did come up a couple times, so we wanted to give y'all an episode on that.
1: Yes, and like Tara said, neither of us like him. If you ever wanted to polarize people into camps of liking and disliking certain serial killers, we are... Ugh. Mm-hmm. I like physically get uncomfortable when I see pictures of him.
0: Yeah, same.
1: And did you know this terror for a lot of our life? We lived it within two hours of him. Yeah, I know. That's, ugh. no thanks. Right. So, yeah, that's always fun.
0: Right. So, yeah, anyways. If you haven't noticed, at the end of our episodes, we are doing promos. So if you're a podcaster and you'd like to send us a trailer or do a swap, whatever, send us an email and we're happy to do so. Yes. Yes, yes. And then as always, all of our fun stuff is in the show notes. You can check it out. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of that great stuff. And I'm going to quit freaking talking now here for a second. And Jessica, what is our drink today?
1: So I kept trying to find like Manson cocktails and then kept bringing up mason jar cocktails so i was like (laughs) fuck that and then i was like okay obviously there's no like manson themed cocktails mm because You sick fucks out there. Mm -hmm. And then I came across one that had rosemary in it. Oh. Which is one of the victim's names. Mm -hmm. So this drink is a ginger rosemary cocktail with gin. It has sprigs of fresh rosemary, three or four slices of fresh ginger, one tablespoon of lemon juice, two ounces of gin, a half a cup of um, ginger beer, ice, and then lemon to garnish. Hmm. That actually sounds kind of delightful. Mm-hmm. Which is the opposite of this topic. Right?
0: Honestly, shit. And it's such a clusterfuck. But for me, I grabbed a Stella Rosa Black crown because it's my favorite. And I'm like, I hate this dude, so I want something to make me a little happy. So I went and grabbed that wine. That's good. Yeah. It's one of my go-tos. That's a red, but fucking
1: tastes like juice so it's delicious i really as we're getting started now I just again have to go on record about how much i hate charles manson (laughs) yeah he's
0: he is not we're not fans of that if it hadn't gotten requested we probably would have skipped
1: him for a long ass time until we were like oh god we're out of topics
0: yeah, exactly. So we're going to go ahead and get started. We are going to just focus on the cult aspect and those murders. Mm-hmm. Guys, I don't know how long this is going to be. If this is like just super, super long, which it could be, but you never know. Uh, it'll be two parts and we'll there will be some blurb by now. You'll be like, I already fucking know, bitch. Shut up. Go. <laughs> so... <laughs> But anyway, yeah, so we're just kind of taking a little, like, dip into this pool and uh, going to discuss it. If you guys decide you would like more details or more details about his life prior to the cult, let us know. Send us an email, comment, whatever, and we will add it to our list to... Get going on that. Not a problem. Yes. Yes. But I am going to kick us off here. I am going to tell you guys about how the cult kind of formulated and a couple key people that uh, were his followers it was the best word, honestly, for that.
1: Okay. I'm here for it. Let's do this. All
0: right. Just real quick. If you don't know anything about Charlie, I'm going to call him. Go ahead and... Right. I know. Sorry. I kept watching videos and they kept calling him that. So it's stuck in my fucking head, Jessica. Stop looking at me like that. <laughs>
1: I just, ah,
0: like... I'm defending myself. Okay. I won't. Sorry. <laughs> I triggered her.
1: It's okay. You, you, yeah. This is this episode <laughs> is a huge trigger. And I want to say this. There's no reason. I think it's just the look in his eye. Like, it fucking freaks me out.
0: Yeah. So if you know nothing about Charles Manson, he's a piece of shit. Hello.
1: Understatement of, like, the millennium.
0: Yeah. Go look at his wiki page. You'll see all the stuff about prison and all that fucking shit. Just don't let the picture scare you. I know Jessica on her notes, she scribbled his face out, so... <laughs>
1: he scares me i mean like and you guys know that i'm already a chicken shit but it's like it's beyond that like i'm gonna say that since we started like i don't know like i just feel like charles there's something about charles manson in my life that is somehow connected Mm -hmm. because it is like this weird weird feeling that i get every time i see a picture of him or he's brought up like so I don't know. And my dog is barking or growling at something weird in my corner. And if Charles Manson is living in my apartment now, I'm going to be so fucking pissed at you guys.
0: So if you want to make yourself feel better, just think of like the Charles Manson that was on South Park. That one's actually kind of funny. Or just eat some peanut butter. Or just eat peanut butter, you know. All right, so we are going to take a trip back to the 60s now for this fun time. So it was 1967 when Charles was released from prison, and with the help of a fellow inmate, he decided to go ahead and relocate to San Francisco. More specifically, he moved into an apartment in Berkeley. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You already know where I'm going with this. So this was obviously a fucking mecca playground, whatever you want to fucking call it, for exactly what he was looking for. Berkeley and, you know, California and everywhere else was full of this free love and, you know, sex, drugs, all of this shit. But more specifically where he was at, this was an area that basically the misfits congregated, the underdogs, these kids that were looking for their spiritual identities. So kids that were young, vulnerable, Mm -hmm. naive, and could be manipulated very easily, which exactly was what he was looking for. Originally, he wasn't trying to start a cult. That's not what he was doing at first. He wanted to be a rock star. It's very true. Yes. And he knew any good rock star had some groupies, had a little posse, had a following. So if he brought them with him, of course, he's fucking legit. So that's what he was looking for. He was looking for women to bring with him because his goal was to eventually get down to Los Angeles and to Hollywood where the music scene was huge. Now, where he was in Berkeley, of course, there's also... It was like way oversaturated with other wannabe artists, you know, playing on every corner, everything else. So he was a dime a fucking dozen. And honestly, he was not very good, obviously, so... He is nothing special. Mm-mm. Something you'll see as a little theme is Charles Manson does not like competition. So he was like, I need to get some bitches and get the fuck out of here. Essentially.
1: This is very true. He's like, like, he didn't want to compete with anyone. He wanted to be everyone's boss. Yes,
0: exactly. Scary enough, he this was actually pretty smart on his part. It's the only compliment he will probably get for me. He started by just observing. Now, what he observed was there was these preachers, because, you know, there's like all kinds of fucking cults and other religions and Scientology was on the rise and everything else. So he's watching these like street preachers and probably other cult leaders, who the fuck knows, watching their tactics and their ways and their behaviors. Right. Basically, the way they walked, how they talked, how they would get the attention of people just walking by. He took all of those mannerisms and basically mimicked it in his own way. He picked up on it super quick. He was not a good-looking person whatsoever. Right. So every <laughs> many people, even in that time, described him as a dirty hippie. So it wasn't his looks that caught their attention. But it was by his mannerisms. And people would describe him similar to Dale Carnegie. He would speak extremely soft and slow and low to, like, draw people in. And then he would just turn. He would turn. He'd be loud. He'd be dramatic. But he spoke with such an importance that the people would still pay attention to him. So he's very charismatic, which for a manipulator, duh, of course you are. And he would also, you know, randomly play songs and things like that. So he knew how to catch a crowd or how to get at least a person's attention. And he knew what he was looking for. He was looking for the broken. He was looking for someone that's, you know, fucked up, someone that would want to cling to him. And that's how he'd get his people. Which is exactly what he fucking did. Mm -hmm. So his very first follower was Mary Bruner. Yes. This poor girl. Jesus Christ. Okay. So she had just moved to Berkeley. She was a 23-year-old graduate student. She had went to the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and she was working as a library assistant at UC Berkeley. And essentially, Manson fucking weaseled his way in with her, and he was living off of her. She had just moved to the area, so she had no friends. You know, she she worked in a library, so that's not a very social job. So she was like hungry for socialization. So Charlie came and <laughs> she clung to his ass. She was in love with him. So in love. Mm-hmm. Like I said, he fucking, he didn't work. He didn't contribute anything positive to her. He just freeloaded off her while she went to work. And of course, while she's at work and when she wasn't, he would still participate in the free love movement and he'd be fucking all kinds of women, which is so gross because he was gross. Mm -hmm. And she tried to fight this for a while, but eventually she was just kind of like, well, at the end of the day, he's coming back to me or, you know, one day we're going to live happily ever after and get married and it'd be me and he'll just grow out of this, which by the time he this was happening, he was already in his fucking 30s. So I'm just saying.
1: Yeah, he was older than he should have been to be doing this.
0: Mm -hmm. And, you know, so essentially she tried to act like she was fine with it, which, you know, probably wasn't. But whatever. So this is going to bring us to another important person who's another follower. Her name was Lynette Fromm. She was described as one of his most devoted followers. And I don't know if Jessica will talk about her maybe later squeaky or sneaky or whatever her name is squeaky
1: yes squeaky yes squeaky oh yeah yeah she coming back she coming back hard later
0: (laughs) oh yes they all had like different names and Mm -hmm. shit which uh, i wrote down but yeah squeaky was hers (laughs) so you know fucking weird i wrote a couple of theirs down anyway Back to Squeaky. Gross. Oh, here's a little fun fact for Squeaky. The reason why she was called Squeaky is because there was some old pervert at one of the places they stayed at because they always moved around a bunch. Mm -hmm. And when he slapped her on the ass or anything like that, she like, squeak. I'm not going to do it because it's loud, but that was her reaction. Like, squeak, yell, noise. (laughs) You
1: don't know what I'm talking about. I do. I'm not doing it. I'm just like trying to wait you out to see if you'll do it.
0: (laughs) No, I'm not doing it. (laughs) Anyway, okay. So she met... Charles Manson at Venice Beach. She had been sitting on a park bench and he had approached her. She, of course, was another person of the broken and troubled. She was super into drugs and alcohol at this point, which, you know, most of these people were. At the time, she was attending a local, I believe, community college. So when he had asked her to come back up to Berkeley at first, she was like, but I can't. I'm like mid-semester, you know, I can't leave school. And so he just kept his cool and he's like, all right and he got up to walk away. And because he could fucking read her like a goddamn book, he knew she'd get up and be like, oh, wait a second. And she ended up leaving school and going up back to Berkeley with him. And uh, really gross. I hate this. She referred to Charlie as the gardener, quote, quote, that tended to all the flower children in the garden of life, I'm assuming. So puke. So the next step with her was Manson started a relationship, kind of like a polyamorous one. I mean, he's cheating on her left and right, so it doesn't really fucking matter. But basically, they started a, like, thruple. So there's three of them. A thruple. You're welcome. I watched Shameless, so yes. Oh, it's also in
1: <laughs> um, Insatiable.
0: Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thruple. Yep, I forgot. So now this is the one that pisses me the fuck off. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Ruth and Morehouse. Charlie had a knack for liking younger women, younger girls,
1: just a little bit.
0: Many of them were underage. Now, Ruthann, I don't know if she was the youngest, but she was 15 years old when she met Charlie. She actually met him through her fucking dad. Of course. Yes. So obviously during this time, like hitchhiking was like a common thing. Mm-hmm. So he picked Charlie, Mary, and then another follower named Catherine up, And he brought them back to his house. Yes. Ruthann's dad, his name is Dean. He was a preacher. For a bit. For a bit. I'll tell you what happened in a second. And of course, like, you know, fucking Charles Manson thinks he's Jesus. Mm -hmm. So he's always like going on and on about religious bullshit. But it's like all these people thought it was super fascinating. So Dean brings him back to his fucking house. And that's when he runs into Ruth Ann and meets her for the first time. And I don't know what the fuck he did. I know it was also probably a lot of people said, you know, they would have a draw to him because of how the women reacted to him. Because... They were trained or groomed, whichever word you want to use, to never take their eyes off him and they did not pay any attention to any other man because, honestly, if they did, they'd get the shit beat out of them Mm -hmm. or stabbed or whatever. Like, they always, yeah, they always had their, like, he'd yank them by the hair, he'd punch them, whatever. They were abused, but they did not fucking care, apparently. He's such a fucking weasel. So he talked Dean into giving him their piano that they had in their home. I don't know how that happens, but, you know, so he got that and he actually I'm I think I it read that he traded it. He may have sold it and got the cash, but basically he used that to get a VW wagon bus because they needed a car. So he got rid of that for that. And later they uh, they upgrade to this creepy school bus. So that's fun.
1: Yeah, they just like super picked
0: great things. To have. Yes. If you don't know about the school bus, which I did not before this, they painted it black and then they painted Hollywood Productions on it. <laughs> he loved to get attention and shit, but like, he ain't shit. Right. So, you know, but he's still on that quest of, I'ma be a rock star. And that did not work out for him.
1: It's very true.
0: So Ruth Ann ends up wanting to go and she's begging and begging and begging, but her parents are like, eh, you no, know, you're 15. Like, uh, I don't know about that. So anyway, she runs away and he's fucking her and she's fucking all kinds of other people. There's drugs. There's all this shit. There is some charges and it has to do with like her running away. And Charles Manson was very, very good at getting out of these kind of situations, which we will dive into more when we get to the murders. Sounds like it. Mm -hmm. So right before she decided to go back up to her parents, he gave her a little bit of advice and she did follow it. He told her. When you get home, you marry the first boy you find. The reason for that is because once you're married, you can move out of your parents' house and they can't tell you what to do. Then you wait for me and I will summon you back. She did it. She got married. She moved out. And whenever Charles Manson was like, hey, bitch, come on, she fucking left. Disgusting. Now, this one, she's she's a little different than a lot of the women they picked up. Patricia Krenwinkel, she had her issues, like she had some like body image issues and things like that, like she was like really overweight and stuff, but her sister, of course, was a junkie and got her like diet pills, probably like, I don't even know what the fuck it's called, but it's like that shit that Regina George was taking in Mean Girls that was illegal, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? I can't think of what it's
1: called. I don't remember. Fettermine. Fenfen?
0: I don't know. Anyway, I'm sure somebody's yelling at me, which someone posted a meme like that about people yelling at podcast hosts when they're getting shit wrong or whatever. But (laughs) someone someone's yelling. Someone's yelling. It's this bitch. But anyway. okay. so yeah. So then she lost weight and all of that. But of course, like body image issues don't go away. Mm -hmm. So she was like broken, but not too broken. I don't know how else to explain that, really. Anyway, he came into contact with her because she came from a well-off family. So if you get someone that uh, has money, then you can use them. So she had a credit card from daddy. So they would just go out and spend money. Mm. I don't think he really planned on keeping her as like a permanent one because he would do this with a lot of rich kids and a lot of, um, I say kids and it's like, you know, people our age basically.
1: Well, they were actually, when you say kids, they were like. Some were teens. They were in their early 20s, I would say.
0: Yeah. He would just use them for money and then he'd get what he wanted out of them and be like, oh, wait, you can't be a member. Thanks. Bye.
1: He's a total dick that way.
0: But she actually ended up sticking around and she was actually described as the most active female participant hmm. in uh, one of the murders. Yes, we will digress from that. Um, another little sidebar, but it's not like a Tara and Jessica sidebar. It's like a story sidebar. He had plenty of run ins with like famous people hmm And some of them really liked him. Oh, yeah. Some thought he was fucking weird, which good for them. But Dennis Wilson from the Beach Boys. Oh, he, like, lived with them. Yeah. He was, like, one of his homeboys. The family stayed at his house for a long fucking time. And then even after that, they were at Spawn Ranch, which the easiest way to describe that, it was, like, a basically, like, a movie set in the middle of nowhere that, like, famous people hung out at and lived at and <laughs> shit.
1: Yeah. It was, like, a place they shot westerns. And mm-hmm. then it was abandoned – for years and people just hung
0: yeah and then people just ended up living there <laughs> but yeah he had a run-in with a lot of famous people and he did like they fucking they fucked dennis like i think it was him they totaled a car that he had paid cash for it was like twenty-one thousand dollars there, to, like in you know in the 60s so like 500 grand worth now
1: mm, awesome
0: totaled it he didn't have insurance on it of course all kinds of bullshit like that because see And you're probably like, how the fuck? How the fuck did he weasel his way into living? The thing about the 60s was people were very trusting. And then all these people that they congregated with, it's that community of, you know, free love and let's all hang out and let's party and let's do drugs. Mm -hmm. It's cool. You can stay here. Blah, blah, blah.
1: I think a lot of it was the fact that they were inebriated, whether high or drunk, Mm -hmm. most of the time. So... They weren't like you're thinking. Like, what person in their right mind would do this? Well, there's the sentence. They're not in their right mind. No, I'm pretty sure that at some point, like the reason it ended is either a people sobered up or Charlie. Oh, I called him Charlie. Charles just got really like bored with people.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I know they got in hot water at not Spawn Ranch, but um, another. It was like Topanga Valley or something like that, but they called it the staircase or some shit. People started like complaining about them just like hanging out everywhere and shit. So yeah. that's why they had moved on from there.
1: Right. Because at first it's almost like, oh, look, the family. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, they're just living there and they're living off mm-hmm. the land and they're being destructive. And people like, I'd get upset at that. Yeah, I would too.
0: Now, this next bitch. Oh, my God. Her fucking mugshot is creepy as Book. I hate it.
1: Ooh, what's her name?
0: Susan Atkins. Oh
1: yeah. She like him main bitch.
0: Uh-huh. So at this point, Charlie thought that the women he had around him were okay. They weren't nothing special. So if you don't know, he was very racist and very sexist. Oh my god, yes. Women weren't his equals, which you know, the whole helter skelter thing you know, yeah, that's the race thing. Anyway, but he's like, I need some hotter bitches because He was like, I want some men around so I could have some company. I don't want anybody too handsome or too smart because I need to be the most handsome and I need to be the most smart, but I need someone to talk to. So he brought her in as a way to bait a little bit higher caliber of men, according to him which you know it's just like gross because like he would just pass them out left and right you know to get things to do things whatever because that you know before they got their in with the famous people they were getting their food out of dumpsters
1: oh yeah they were on record like and they're like we we go scavenging and like then they would say like oh we just steal cars and then you know and then we go to the grocery store sometimes but most of the time we just eat garbage and i'm like what do you mean most of the time you eat garbage
0: yeah, they would go behind restaurants and just dig in the dumpsters after people, after they dumped in the food and stuff. So, yeah, fucking nasty.
1: Mm. Hmm.
0: So there was two men that he basically had as, like, second in command. There was Bruce Davis and Paul Watkins. Bruce came around first. He did not have any part in the Tate murders, but he did participate in other ones. And then Paul, um, he was just up Charlie's ass, so, you know, whatever. As far as that goes. It's very true hmm Because they both, just like anybody, that was the thing that's like so crazy. It's like he brainwashed these people. So that was the thing too. He also made sure, his words, not mine, he picked people who weren't the smartest so that way he could manipulate them and brainwash them and influence them. Yes. Because he wanted to be treated like a god. And because there's all this drama and I feel like the music side of things I could make a whole fucking episode on because there's so much shit. Long story short, that wasn't going to fucking happen.
1: It wasn't. I think he thought it was. I honestly think that Charlie thought he was oh, yeah. going to be the next Beatles or Beach Boys mm-hmm. and that his family was going to just be with him and I think Charlie, like, he wasn't that great of an artist but I think the other side of it is that what he was, you know, singing about was probably too um, too radical for for the time. Yeah. Yeah, so people they were probably like, we can't produce this
0: well that and you know he actually got a a few chances to go into a recording studio because what is his name dennis from the beach boys had the hookup because at this point, the Beach Boys, quote unquote, owned their record label. Mm-hmm. But of course, you know, the producers and stuff had their final say. And oh, it's the producer that's like the main focus is um, Doris Day's son. I can't his name slip in my head right now. But anyway, he had a chance to to have a recording thing and he it just went like it, it went exactly how you fucking thinking it went so i've never recorded in a studio like whatever so i don't really know know. Mm no but like you know the people the producers and shit they'll be like hey like scoot closer to the mic scoot back maybe just sing like this you need to retune your guitar blah 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 he didn't like any of that because he didn't like constructive criticism he didn't like being wrong so he would just be a dick
1: oh i heard one interview with him where he was like you can't tell me what to do Mm-hmm. And I think it's not even just criticism, it's being told like, hey, you need to lean closer to the mic so we can hear you more. Mm-hmm. And it's like, he's like, no, you can hear me if I can hear me in my, you know, just fine from here. Why can't you know, and I think a lot of it was that Charles, Charles Manson was not an intelligent person. No. But he was like he wasn't intelligent, like book smart, but he had like street smarts and he could read people really well. Mm -hmm. And I think because he grew up in like literally in the system, I think he learned from people in prison, like how you get a gang is just getting people to blindly follow you.
0: Exactly. And that's what he did. But yeah, no, I mean, there was a story of With one of the producers, he actually pulled a knife on him. And the dude was just like, you're fucking nuts. Get the fuck out, you know. And what's so gross about it all is like, there's multiple times when he's pulled knives on people because he's pulled knife on women and stuff like that. And people are like, oh, that's just Charlie. That's just how he is. He's just kind of crazy. And he carries a knife. Whatever. Like, the fuck? But I mean, they were all taking LSD a fuck ton. So Mm -hmm. there you go.
1: Well... Leslie um, Von Houghton, is that how you say her name? Mm-hmm. She said in a later interview that she doesn't actually ever really remember Charles taking anything.
0: Oh, he's just a fucking nut. But mm-hmm. I mean, that was, the, that was the excuse, you know what I mean, for like right. people because they assume, oh, we're doing it. Yeah. And I think I read something, too, like he would never drink as much as them or anything or mm-hmm. take smaller doses because he wanted them to have the illusion that he was like immortal. He was like a god. So, you know, oh, my God, we're wasted out of our minds, but Charlie's fine. And that's why, because he either never fucking did it or he barely, like, had, like, a shot, you know? Just, ugh, gross, gross, gross. But, yeah, so they were in, like I said, this, all that shenanigans. And he started burning all these bridges. And he ended up, they ended up over at Spawn Ranch before they got caught for the horrible, horrible fucking things they did. They were involved in a few things, but there is mainly two murders that I'm going to go ahead and talk about. I feel like these were the two main ones, especially because, one, there's a movie out or coming out with Hillary Duff.
1: It was released April 5th. Oh, okay. So it's out. Mm-hmm. I couldn't remember. I saw, like, one trailer and that's all I saw about it. It has not done well in the review factor. Yeah. It's called The Haunting of Sharon Tate. And it is on IMDb. Got a three point two out of ten. Ooh, yikes! I know. But there's also another movie coming out. Oh yeah, you're right. Yep. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Yeah. And that's going to be fucking excellent because it's Quentin Tarantino.
0: Yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna go ahead and tell you guys a little bit before I hand it off to Jessica about the Tate murders, mm-hmm. and then also the murders the following day. Yes, there's more stuff, but these were the two I wanted to focus on because that's what I'm doing. So, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if you don't know who Sharon Tate was, she was a actress. She was very beautiful. She was born in Dallas, Texas. She met her husband, who was a director and a ended up being a producer, too, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. I know after she was killed, the movie he was doing... At the time, he stepped down. Anyway, she was really young. She was really beautiful. She had her whole life ahead of her. They had gotten married and she was pregnant. So, you know, had a lot going for her and family friends said, like, you know, this was the life she was wanting to go after. So everything was going great, of course, because that's what fucking happens. So they didn't even know that these were the people who were living in that house. They had just recently moved in there, and if you're curious, her husband's name is Roman Polanski, and the house of the murder scene is 10050 CeeLo Drive in Los Angeles. She was eight and a half months pregnant, and there was also three friends at the time who were there and also an 18-year-old visitor. He was murdered as well. Now, the people who went over there was Tex Watson, Susan Atkins, and Patricia Winkle. I don't know why I'd, like, fucking struggle bus with her name. Anyway, and of course, Charlie orchestrated it, but if you might know, obviously, he didn't do anything. Didn't even go. No. He just told them what to do because they had thought that they were trying to talk to... Oh, here is his name from earlier. Uh, They were trying to get in touch with Terry Melker. And uh, this was the producer that was just like, fuck off, Charlie. No. He had his own personal family stuff with Doris Day, his mother. Her husband, she had... Was a piece of shit and abusive and actually had been, like, Mm -hmm. funneling money away into, like, offshore accounts. So she was, like, in millions of dollars of debt. So they had all of that going on because his mother was old at this point. So, you know, he had better things to worry about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, his girlfriend wanted nothing to do with uh, Manson. So that pissed him off.
1: Good for her. Good for for being the only woman in that area who was like, let me not hop on that. Mm Mm-hmm
0: have a gross fun fact for you guys before i get into the murder so everyone was fucking everybody right so uh Mm -hmm. dennis from the beach boys he ended up taking all of them including himself to one of the clinics because they all had gonorrhea and the hospital bill for their penicillin shots for everybody was like over a thousand dollars and he paid it
1: well he wanted to continue you know being up all in that shit and gotta get that shit clean
0: Yes. So, yeah. There you go. There's that little tidbit. Anyway, okay. (laughs) Fun facts with Tara. Right? (laughs) Shit. I know. I find out all the weird shit. Okay. So on August 8th of 1969, Tex took Susan, Linda, and Patricia to that house where Meltzer used to live. He had instructed them to completely destroy everyone in it and make it as gruesome as you can. And he told the women to do as Watson told them to. Mm Mm-hmm. So, of course, they, Sharon had moved in there, her and her husband had moved in there like a month prior. Or no, no, no. They had moved in there earlier that year. I think they moved in there like May, March-ish. They hadn't lived there very long, you know. So, they just moved in there because, uh, like I said, she was pregnant. She was actually eight and a half months pregnant. So, she was almost there. Mm -hmm. He was away for a movie in London at the time. And so, when they got there, the people that were with... Sharon Tate were other bigwigs as well. There was Jay Sebring. He was like a super famous hairstylist, which some say
1: is her ex fiance.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd say ex-fiance, former lover. I think he may have been who introduced them. And I know there was a thing with is probably him. It was there was a thing with one of her boyfriends where it's like they actually all three of them stayed really close friends. So it wasn't like anything weird, but, you know, probably. Was. Right.
1: And then there's like this thing <laughs> that came out like a long time after that said that she was actually cheating on Roman with him. And because when she was found, I guess she wasn't wearing her ring. But then I was like, she's eight and a half months pregnant, her fingers may have swollen mm-hmm. to the point where, like, she's not comfortable wearing her ring anymore. This is
0: true. They also had an
1: aspiring screenwriter, and he's
0: got a name I am not even going to attempt, so, you know. Oh, yeah. That was a long one. Yes. And his lover, which was Abigail Folger, like Folger's coffee. She was the heiress for that. Yes. And like I said, um, husband was in Europe... He was gone for a movie and all of that stuff. And somebody else was supposed to show up to the house, but he ended up not going that night. So, uh, you know, good for him because he got to live.
1: Very true. I'm sure he was like, holy shit. Yep. So basically, you know, they
0: roll on up and fucking text told the women to get in the bushes. And he, you know, he got out. And the little 18-year-old, he was actually um, the son of the caretaker on the property. So he was just visiting and he was in like the guest house. But he had been in the car and that's, I believe, where the cops had found him later. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Watson went fucking nuts and just like started stabbing and slashing and everything and fucking pulled out a gun. He slashed uh, the kid's hand and his palm because obviously he was like, you know, blocking it and shit. Mm -hmm. And then he shot him four times in the chest and abdomen, which is what killed him, of course. And then that's when he told the, the ladies to come help him push the car up the driveway. So then at this point, this is when Watson began to tie up Tate and Sebring, like on their neck and all of that stuff. So Sebring was like trying to fucking like defend Tate. She's fucking pregnant. You know, she kept I know she kept being like, I'm pregnant. Just let me live to have my baby. Let me live to have my baby. Then I'll give a fuck what you do with me. And they're just like, we don't give a fuck. Right. So he ended up shooting Sebring because he wanted him to shut the fuck up. And uh, they got a big $70 from Tate while she was still alive. So there's that. They took it from her, you know, they got it out of her purse and shit. And then after he shot him, he also stabbed Sebring seven times. So that's lovely. Now, the other guy, uh, Frykowski, there we go. His hands had been tied up with a towel. He actually got out and he was trying to get Adkins out or he was fighting with Adkins. Sorry, all these fucking names. And he ended up getting stabbed in the leg and, you know, he got shot too. And yeah, and just like overly stabbed everybody he was only shot twice but they just they were knife happy they were fucking knife happy
1: oh yes very excited with the knives
0: linda had decided to go up the driveway because she heard quote-unquote horrifying sounds she fucking knew what was happening just saying mm-hmm. apparently tried to stop the massacre but you know ain't fucking she tried to be like oh someone's coming and they're just like mm, okay so they kept doing what they were doing and uh, God, it's so bad. So Folder actually tried to she actually made it to the front lawn and it was Patricia actually caught her and stabbed her and then got her to the ground and fucking she was killed by Tex of course who stabbed her 28 times.
1: Like the word excessive for all of these murders. Like every single one mm-hmm. any murder that was done by this group of individuals is, like, over the top.
0: Yes. And then Tex got a hold of Frykowski, and he stabbed him 51 times. And they left Tate for last. Like I said, she was begging to be left alive to have her baby, and, you know, was like, you can have me as a hostage, just please don't kill my baby. Tate was also stabbed an excessive amount of times. She was stabbed 16 times, They all brag in their fucked up ways, and one of the things that really just like made me want to cry. I guess she was like crying for her mom while they were killing her. So the fucking family worked very quickly. Mm -hmm. So the next night, they decided to go over to another house and kill some more people. They headed over to the La Bianca residence. Mm -hmm. It was a couple. Their name was Lino and Rosemary, as Jessica hinted earlier, and this time. Basically, Charles Manson had said he didn't want to mess, do it the right fucking way, and he sent more people. So the four from before went, and then Leslie Van Houten and Steve Clem Grogan went over with them. Like I said, Manson was just not happy with last time so basically he gave the orders to the man mm-hmm. shock shock and basically this was the house he was a like supermarket executive
1: he owned like a chain or something yeah like that.
0: yeah 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 he was like a ceo whatever and his wife worked at a um like a dress shop
1: yeah they were like upper middle class mm-hmm. like, not quite sharon tate level but you know. But well-known and everything and had yeah. status. Yeah. And
0: actually, the Manson family had been to a party, I believe, next, yeah, it was next door Um, mm-hmm. the previous year.
1: So they knew it was like a rich, well-to-do area. Exactly.
0: So it's kind of the same MO, tied them up, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I guess at the trial, Watson tried to be like, oh, I just went along with whatever, but it's like, "Mm, you were stabbing people left and right, so you didn't go along with shit. You were the one doing it, so go fuck yourself. Right. So, but he said, like, he thought saying that kind of thing would make him less responsible, but it's like, no, bro. No, it don't work that way. Mm -mm. So they had, of course, it was late at night. So the couple was sleeping. Lino was on the couch and had been waking up by gunpoint. And basically he like tied him up um, with like some leather thing. And he also brought, they brought Rosemary into the living room. And then basically the instructions from Manson was to cover their head with pillowcases. So of course they did that. And they bound them in place with lamp cords. After this, Manson left. He wasn't even fucking there anymore. Mm -hmm. He left.
1: He did a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Like, where I think he didn't think he'd be culpable if he wasn't there when it happened.
0: Mm -hmm. They used a bayonet to stab them. Mm. They stabbed Lino 12 times. Mm -hmm. And then after he was stabbed, they carved war into his abdomen. So then they are left with Rosemary and. They decided to get a knife from their kitchen, and Manson had said, make sure each woman plays their part. So, basically, everybody, so fucking um, Leslie stabbed her about 16 times in the back
1: and in her, like, butt, too. So, yeah. It was just, like, the lower area of the backside. Yeah. Um, In one of the documentaries I watched about that, Mm -hmm. she just said that, you know, I think it was, like, Tex walked up to her and said, you know charlie said you have you know everyone has to do their own and she knew at that moment like Mm -hmm. it was because he wanted everyone's hands dirty but his exactly right and then it's also said because this is
0: probably because of that she actually had 41 stab wounds and those like i mean besides the 16 Mm -hmm. and those were all post-mortem so they did that. And then, of course, they took, oh, I forgot, and Sharon Tate's house, they took her blood and wrote pig on the walls. They did this as well over here at the Bianca mm-hmm. house. They took their blood and then they wrote piggy and then they wrote, I believe this is the house, they wrote helter-skelter on the fridge. Mm-hmm. Then they also, on the walls, they wrote rise and death to pigs out of their blood. And then they took a fucking took a fork and then they just left it like stuck in his and st- Lino's stomach.
1: Right. Like it was a carving fork, not like a table fork. No.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like one you use for like fucking Thanksgiving. And then they took a steak knife and then they planted it and like in his throat where they had cut him just like left it chill in there on purpose.
1: Right. Because they were like these murders were so violent and like the whole like writing on the wall with the blood thing is how they actually because there is another murder the the henman murder Mm -hmm. but literally this is how it connects them all right because they all
0: had the same thing and it's like it's crazy i was watching i was watching a documentary and it was one of sharon tate's like friends and she said you know i don't understand how they didn't even think to connect these two because one they were a day after another and two they did all the same shit but You know,
1: I do have insight on that. Oh, yes. Please, please tell. It's because the guy who we can't say his name, um, Abigail Folger's boyfriend, Mm -hmm. he was uh, like a producer and stuff like that. And um, he was also a drug dealer. So, what they think happened because they think it had to, they were like, okay. you have to do or like it had to do with his drugs like this is what this is this is a killing like a cartel killing type thing right uh, because of how brutal it was and essentially they after that they said that the sewers of la got high because people were just flushing their shit down the toilet because they didn't Mm want to deal with this like crazed cartel or killer or dealer out there right
0: Oh, but yeah, those were the two murders I really wanted to talk about. I know Jessica, she's going to kind of go into the trial and then some little aftermath stuff that's a little more current.
1: Yes. And due to the fact that a lot of these are similar, I will be mentioning some a couple other murders. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I figured you were. So those were the two. Those are the two main ones he's known for. Exactly. Because like even like before I started doing the research, I didn't know about them. So that's going to wrap up part
0: one of the Manson family cult. I hope you guys enjoyed it and check back in later this week. We're going to have part two with Jessica and she's going to have all kinds of fun stuff for you. And we'll also have another stabby snippet coming down the pipeline. Have a great Tuesday. Bye, guys. Hey sluts, I am Channa. And I'm Corey, And we are the hosts of Anyways, How's Your Sex Life?
1: Join your fellow true crime buffs and horror addicts as we share weekly stories of murder,
0: demonic possession,
1: and nocturnal apparitions.
0: So grab your spirit boards, light some candles, and listen to our true crime and supernatural podcast with a comedic queer twist.
1: You can now find us on Spotify, Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play.
0: Also, you can like us on Instagram and Facebook or follow us on Twitter.
1: At A-H-Y-S-L Podcast. Or, anyways, how's your sex life?
0: Hope to flirt with you soon. Bye.
1: Bye.